Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Spin the Rally Pod. My goodness me, it's an exciting week, isn't it? It's the return of Rally Japan. Would you believe 2012 was the last time that we went to Japan for the World Rally Championship. And my goodness me, we have missed Japan. It has so much to offer to rally fans all around the world. It really is something very special indeed. Joining me on this Japan special of Spin the Rally Pod, it's a man who knows more about rallying in Japan than probably just about anyone. It's George Donaldson. George, good morning to you. Good morning. I, I, I hasten to add that my knowledge of Rally in Japan it, it, it starts and finishes probably with Rally Japan and a, a little a little uh, pre-event uh, effort they made called Alpine Rally, which was a couple of years before Ooh. the WRC went there. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, George. Here's the thing that I was thinking about yesterday. You actually spent almost the entire part of your career, the entire, really the most meaningful part of your career in the World Rally Championship with Japanese manufacturers, didn't Abs- you? Absolutely, correct. 30 years. 30 years, actually. 30 years, so there yeah. you go. So if there, was, there, there, really, there are very few people in the world of rallying that perhaps have the inside knowledge that you've got. So, George, what we thought today, we just, you know, we just reminisce and just look back and maybe look back at what we've enjoyed and in the same kind of way look forward to what we can enjoy this week in Japan because it, it really has been missed, hasn't it? And, you know, it's been missed, I suppose, George, more than anything by Toyota. You know, they came back into the championship a few years ago. It's been on the calendar since, what, 2019? And sadly, it's, uh, you know, with COVID and all the rest, we, we've um, we've not managed to get out to Japan, but we're going back there now. And, you know, from Toyota's point of view, this is a huge, huge week. Absolutely is massive, Colin, and you can see the effort. I mean, just looking at some of the things being released by the the Toyota team as they as they as they drive to as sorry, as they arrive into Japan, it's uh, it's quite clear the, the the level of effort being made there uh, to um, to uh, to welcome the rally and and to acknowledge it and to celebrate it. it, it it's just fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it just what what a, what a great fun event to be at. I'm, Disappointed I'm not there, naturally enough. But (laughs) I tell you what, I can't wait till I get there. Um, You know, but it is so, so important. This is where we see the importance of rallies. You're coming back into the championship, new rallies coming into the championship. It's it's how they invest in the sport, isn't it? And and look, we know know that rallying in Japan is is a reasonably popular sport. Obviously, massive success in the past that you were involved in, George, with Subaru and with Mitsubishi. Um... But, you know, it's so, so important that, that we get manufacturers involved, that we get fans involved, that we get rallies involved, that invest in, in you know, if you like, promoting the sport and pushing the sport to a wider audience. And my goodness me, they're doing that in Japan. Absolutely. And how um, the uh, we discussed last week the, the opportunities they have for, you know, developing some, some interesting products as well that would really promote the world of rallying, promote Toyota in the world of rallying and ipso facto help rallying in itself with a, you know, a, a cup version of the of the Yaris GR. What a fabulous concept. But yeah, so important for, for, for Japan yeah. and uh, such a t- traditional country in many ways, so, such traditional, um, um, uh, how do you respect for tradition in Japan, but also such a, a country that adopted a new culture in the last 70 yeah. years. Um, and, uh, you know, was the original uh, the original tiger economy, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know, you're quite right. You know, it, it is incredibly traditional. Um, and that's one of the great things, I think, about going to Japan. And I, I remember that from the first couple of times I went. You, you know, we're, we're very fortunate, George, in, in the work that we do, that we do get to travel the world and we do get to meet 
you know, so many wonderful people and experience so many really diverse cultures. But you know, a lot of places we go to, we go to South America, we go to Australia, New Zealand, to Europe. Um, the cultures are very similar. You know, it's a different language that's being spoken, but it's a very similar culture to our culture back home. You go to Japan and it's completely different, completely different. And for me, it was an eye opener. It was wonderful to experience. And you know, you're absolutely right. You're incredibly respectful, incre incredibly traditional, and and uh, you know, but but incredibly innovative as well. You know, for for a country that that relies that you know, it's it's society is built on tradition and respect and and politeness and all of those things. Um, but they're not backward thinking by any means, are they? They're very forward thinking. They're very willing to adopt new ideas. Yeah. And in terms of rallying, you know, I think I think we're going to see a little bit of that this week. I think there'll be more of that incredible hydrogen car that we saw in Ypres with Toyota sandbacking that. Yeah. For, for me, that's one of the most important things. And I know you're a big a big fan of looking at things like hydrogen as opposed to perhaps electric for the future of rallying and motorsport. Absolutely, Colin. And it's, it was great to, in Ypres to see Mr. Toyota saying, actually, the future is internal combustion with sustainable fuels, whether it be hydrogen, whether it be a carbon capture, um, artificially developed fuel from that, which seems to be one of the smartest ways at the moment. But, uh, you know, I, I almost think that hydrogen is, is very nearly old hat now. You know, it's, it's, it's it, seriously, I know that sounds a strange thing to say, but, but, it, but it is. Um, there's so many new technologies coming out that are totally sustainable um, uh, within, within a, a, an envisioned um, infrastructure, at least, but perhaps not now. They're 100% they're, they're, they're sustainable, but they have the potential to become like that. And it was great to see Mr. Toyota championing that and coming out you know that's a that's the boss of a, one of the biggest motor manufacturers in the world saying actually um you know we we you know we're the we we've, we've been the champions of hybrid hybrid's great hybrid works uh, but all electric don't think so don't think so mm. wouldn't it wouldn't work in a mm. lot of places not unless the human race is willing to give up all its freedoms and all its autonomy all its ability for me to get into my car and drive 20 miles on a on a Saturday morning to see a friend or 50 miles to do work all that disappears if you go electric because it's not sustainable it's not practical and it's not practical in in quite a you know quite a medium term view I'm not saying it can't happen in the future but right now it can't and you know the battery technology it's unbelievably dirty um yeah Let's stick with ICs. And ICs, you know, in, in the last 30 years, 40 years at, at the very maximum, internal combustion engines are using, you know, well, they're, well, they're going they're going 200% further than, than, than they, they would on a, on a, a litre of fuel. You know, it's, it's incredible, the, the yeah. steps. So uh, it would appear, at least, I mean, I'm open to it. If someone else comes up with something better, brilliant. Um, uh, would, would it be hydrogen fuel cells? Maybe. Um, uh, I, I don't know. But um, the, the point being is uh, that this this uh, desperate push for, you know, electric and, and you know, it's, it's rabid. It's almost it's almost religious fervor going for electric. It, it's um, it's it's quite it's quite frankly scary. And, and, and it, you know, we I mean, I, I presume that we're talking to our, our listeners uh, are, are all savvy. They're all they all understand what I'm saying. I love electric cars; they're great fun to drive. <laughs> but as you discovered uh, just a week or so ago, oh. uh, not not a practical solution for anything except local commuting. And for that, they're great. But again, just remember that horrible footprint it leaves making those batteries. And the, one of the scary yeah. things with those batteries is they are very, very, very hard to recycle. That's mm. that's not to say that yeah, someone so won't come up with a fabulous bit of technology that will recycle them. And when yeah. someone does that, yeah. it will help massively. But at the moment, a, lith yeah. a lithium, an old lithium battery is just basically going in a, well, I don't know what's happening to them. Are they going into a, a tip? You know, are they just being in, into a, into, um, a waste ground? I've, I've no idea what happens with lithium batteries, but they are hard to recycle. Mm. That's very true. That's very true. And, and whatever I think comes in terms of automotive innovation um, you know, for the future, you know, a lot of it will, without any question, come out of Japan. And, and you know, when Toyota-san speaks... Uh, the automotive world listens because they have no choice because Toyota is uh, right up there. He is perhaps the most influential man in the world of uh, of cars, isn't he? So it'll be interesting, interesting to see what they have to say this week. 
uh, in terms in terms of you know any future plans for that hydrogen car that they've got that as I say we saw on Ipa. But George, George, I tell you what I'm looking forward to with, with Japan. Yeah, you know, you always look forward to new rallies. And okay, you know, we were there what 12 years ago the last time we were there, but. You know, we've seen different different versions of Rally Japan. You know, it started off up in Hokkaido, which I loved. Hokkaido was a great city, quite quite a small city. Well, it was you knew the rally was on was, there. Hokkaido is the name of the island, uh, Colin. Oh well, okay, so it was um, uh, Obahiro was Obahiro, the time. Yes. You know, sorry, you're quite right. <laughs> Hokkaido was the island. Obahiro. Yeah. Thank you, John. That's okay. You're, you're That's here okay. for a reason. Yes, I am. <laughs> that reason is to keep me right. <laughs> Obahiro was yeah, no, was right. amazing. It was a a, a small city. Um, actually, quite a decent yeah. size, actually. I mean, it was, but it was a small city which completely and absolutely absorbed the rally. Happily, about uh, twenty kilometres away, there's a massive international airport which is actually used for all the Jap- Japanese airlines uh, use that for training. So there's this incredible, huge runway and a massive airport with not a huge amount of traffic commercially, but but it's a lovely big terminal. So it was dead easy to get into, and this city just totally adopted us. The stages were amazing; they were gravel. Um, and they were very, oh, very good. Stages. That rally w- could also sustain a winter rally because they get a massive amount of snow. They're very far north there. Um, so you could get a reliable winter rally there if you wanted as well. Um, for me, that's where that's where rally should be, um, not um, not anywhere else. Not anywhere else at the moment. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it did give us some incredible stories. I mean, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remember being up there... Um, I can't remember exactly how many times, maybe three times we were up around around Hokkaido and, and uh, uh, that in the island. But, you know, some of the things that came out of there were incredible. Um, you know, the, the, the Solberg story, the Peter Solberg story where, uh, where he hit the rock, George. You know, you, you were involved with Subaru at the time. Um, I mean, that was incredible drama, real incredible drama. Solberg hadn't won for the best part. I think it was over a year, wasn't it? It was 2006, I think, the rock incident. It might have been, been a little bit later than that, been, yeah. uh, but he hadn't, he hadn't won for a very long time, and he was he was uh, he was on the cusp of winning two stages to go in the Subaru. You know what a fantastic result that would have been for Subaru, something that they desperately needed. Um, two stages to go, twenty twenty two second lead, maybe I think it was over Marcus Gronholm. Pretty straightforward stages up the mountain, up a valley, very shortly he's on back down the mountain, down the other side. Uh, and he won the rally, and it would have been great and fantastic, and you know enormous celebrations. Well done, Peter Solberg. And then he discovered that rock right in the line of an enormous rut that he couldn't avoid. It was it was drama beyond belief. The emotion of Solberg. You know, I, I was uh, very fortunate, and it was quite unusual. You know, I I, I did stage ends in those days, uh, but because of the nature of those two stages, we couldn't get to the end of the penultimate stage. The the end of the final stage was literally five or six kilometres along a road section from the start of the penultimate one. So we thought, we'll do the start of the penultimate stage. We'll watch them off the line. We'll see what happens. And yeah. we were watching and, you know, off went various cars. Solberg was the last of the World Rally cars to go. And it was odd because they came off the start line, George, and it was a straight, and they were getting just about fourth, fifth gear, and then a pretty tight left into the trees, into these dense trees, and up this incredibly beautiful wooded valley where actually in the morning, Denny Girardet, um, on the first pass, he was doing weather crew, I think, for... Who would he have been doing it for at the time? Citroen, maybe? I can't remember. Could, could have been, been could have been, for. yeah. But he, he'd driven up, and he'd driven up at about three in the morning because they had to. Um, he'd followed a bear. He'd followed a bear for about 500 metres. This bear was just ambling up the middle of the stage at three o'clock in the morning. So that gives you an idea of how remote, how dense, how, how really beautiful this forested area was. So Solberg heads off the line. And we watch him coming off the start line. And this really tight left, George, into the trees. And he was so ragged, so messy. He almost went up on the bank and we're going, whoa, that's exciting, isn't it? That's really exciting. And then you could hear him pulling a few gears. There was a couple of tight, twisty corners and then bang, nothing. We didn't hear the bang, but nothing, no sound. Mm. And it was like, no, no, what's happening? This can't be happening. Solberg's had a pretty torrid year. It can't be happening. And came across on the radio, Solberg said something, he's off. So off we went, walking into the stage. And George, I have to say, I have never seen ruts like it. I suppose that could have been the, 
maybe the, uh, the the major argument about the stages round there. They were very soft. And my they didn't. Me, they, they didn't. Got they didn't like double usage. That's for sure. Um, they didn't like double um, usage. Uh, and and uh, well, um, as we were walking in, George, the back of the field was coming through, and it was Nissan Micras. And honest to God, I'm watching these Nissan Micras literally jumping off the, the roads as we heard them coming towards us. Mm. Um, and how they got through these ruts is still is still a bit of a mystery to me because literally there was there was hardly enough travel on the suspension for them to ride these ruts. It was incredible. Um, but eventually we get to Solberg and that rock is very evident. It's right there in the middle of the line. Solberg is nowhere to be seen. He's, uh, eventually we find him and he's down the bank, floods of tears, head in his hands, agrees to do an interview. He gets asked one question, dissolves once again into floods of tears. Apparently when he gets back to the Subaru service area, he spent... 20 minutes on his back crying in the service area. Absolutely devastated, devastated. Mm. It, was, it was drama beyond belief. And I do remember, the other thing I remember about that, George, was the phone call that I got from ProDrive the following week saying, uh, Colin, um, I understand you were at the site of, of Solberg's incident in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there anyone else there? And I was like, no, don't think so. In fact, there was someone else. There was a bloke appeared from the trees, mm-hmm. which I remember. Um, but which was a little unusual because spectating in Japan is 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 something that's very very heavily restricted. You are, and, and everyone is, we've talked about it already so respectful. No one, no one goes outside the spectator zone. So you pay your money, you stay in the spectator zone. That is it. Anyway, this bloke appeared out of the trees. Um, but I don't think he was a suspicious bloke. Subaru actually took that rock back to ProDrive, George, because they, 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 they thought it was possible that someone had put that rock in the line. Well, which, 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 you know, which, which you can understand them it's thinking. Just as think well, it's just as well nobody was paranoid there, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's just, well, it's but I think I think subsequent analysis of the onboards, the previous onboards, showed yeah. the rock, yeah. and it showed it becoming more and more exposed, yeah. and it actually showed that Gronholm, who went in before Solberg, he had quite a hit on it and dislodged it and pulled it out. Right, but it was drama, George, and and, and you know it was the kind of drama that that, that you know. That the championship thrives on, yep. and the kind of drama anyway, that Japan gives us, and it, I love it. it. I it totally did, love it. It did give us. It did more. give us that massive drama, and uh, and I mean, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that thing about Petter there. I mean, I think it would be it would be fair to say that you know you said it all. The, the end of the first straight, that first corner, you know, he 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 was all over the place. Um, it was ragged, uh, yeah. but I mean, he had to be. You know, he was fighting Marcus Gronholm. He, he couldn't. He couldn't afford to yeah. give anything away. You know, fourteen, fifteen seconds that could easily disappear. So, it wasn't a fight. You, you couldn't take anything away from the guy there. Anyway, talking of mm-hmm. Japan, the silly things that happened. They're not the silly things. The fabulous things. The interesting <laughs> things that happened there. I mean, and there's so much to experience for the for the teams as they arrive. I mean, they're they're going down to. Uh, they're obviously going down to to. Um, well south of well south of Tokyo this year. So are you flying into Narita yeah. and then taking the train south? No, I'm not. I'm not, George. I'm not. I've decided to do it slightly differently. Um, I think most people are flying into Tokyo. I'm going to fly into Osaka, which is just as easy, to be totally honest with you. The train system is so yep. good in Japan. Uh, I'm going to Kyoto for a night, and I'm going to have a day just wandering around Kyoto, which I'm told is a beautiful city. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to uh, Nagoya from Kyoto, which is yeah. very, very straightforward. It is. I spent a very nice uh, day in Kyoto with Peter Solberg on a on an STI tour, yeah. a Subaru Subaru Technica tour, and I've got about a hundred photographs of him in in uh, <laughs> doing all sorts of silly things and going to these incredible temples. Um, in uh, that's what I'm going to in see. Kyoto. It's quite uh, quite something, quite a collection that uh, of of fun fun yeah. stuff that we did, and yeah. So um, it's it's going to be good. Now, Nagoya is going to be amazing. I've spent a bit of time around there. Of course, you're very close to the race circuit. Is that where the rally's based? Mm-hmm. Is it based out of that? No, it's based based in uh, the Toyota Stadium. Um, so it's uh, you know it's, it's very much Toyota country, isn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> Toyota City. Um, I mean, that's, Toyota that's City. It. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be challenging. It looks as if you know, I don't know that area, George, but it looks as if we're, we're on the edge of the countryside, which obviously um, we need to be for the stages, I guess. Uh, um, a lot of people, from my understanding, are staying in Nagoya. It's a fair old trip out from Nagoya to Toyota Stadium, but but I'm sure we'll manage driving on the roads in Japan. Can be can be a little bit challenging well, re- re- in the cities re- and re- times. Remember, you you do require an international license to be able to rent a car or even to be able to drive a car in Japan. You need to make sure you've got that. 
I've got it, George. You've got I've got it, it. Good I'm man. Good I'm man. Prepared. I went to my local post office uh-huh. and got it the other day. Yeah. And the guy, the guy looked at me in a very strange yeah. way and he said, Where are you going? I think there's so few countries mm-hmm. in the world these days yeah. that require these in- international. Now, it's not a license, George. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's just a permit. It's a permit. It's a permit. Yeah. International Correct. driving international permit. International driving permit. Yeah, so, yeah. When, when I was doing my research yeah. into them, that's what I discovered. Uh-huh. It's, it's a permit, yeah. so all to do with with, with post war uh-huh. agreements or something. I'm not quite sure what the what the arrangements yeah. are, but they're, but they're they're not archaic. There's a reason I, re- I do recall drivers, some drivers uh, in the in the World Championship, yeah. having to do driving tests, tests, uh, and, yes. and fa- fa- failing that. them repeatedly um, because they they didn't think it really mattered to them. Um, that young Russian what, driver Novikov. So- Novikov, right. I think he That's sat right. it three times before he passed it. Um, so there was him, there was, there was the guy from San Marino, because they don't have an agreement with Japan. Right. Uh, I can't remember who, in Group N, who was the San Marino driver? I forget his name. There, there, were, there were a few, there were a few, and it, yeah. it's quite interesting because you, you drive past these places. I remember in Hokkaido, you know, but here I remember driving past thinking, what is that? Uh, it's like a car park with, with traffic lights and pedestrian crossings. I can't remember if there were roundabouts. There was um, everything, there's all sorts of strange ev- everything things. Everything in there, yeah. It's, it's Everything in there. And you think, what, what is that? And then you realise, actually, that's a driving centre. Yeah. And, and these drivers had to go along and sit their test for the whole day. And it's, it's like a little toy town, isn't it's it? A, it's a wee toy um, town. There's a massive amount of uh, classroom learning, uh, which they very, kind, yeah. they very kindly offer in English, at least. And... Uh, uh, yeah. um, uh, you've got to you've got to crack on and do it. So you have to do yeah. it. And I wonder whether anyone this year is having to do that. We'll find I out. We'll find out, and we'll um, we'll, we'll go and ask them about their experiences, shall we? Uh, but I thankfully don't have to do that, George. I, I just have to take my, as you say, driving permit with me, and then off we go. Um, but <laughs> so just thinking about driving in Japan, just something popped into my my memory, and it was again, it was up around. Actually, this might have been when we were based in Sapporo. Uh, but again, we, we headed out of Sapporo on, on the highway and into some beautiful countryside. Um, but as you came off the highway, you'd come down to the junction and there was a set of traffic lights. And I remember stopping because, you know, rally fans in Japan are proper fans. I mean, it's where, where the word fans comes from, fanatics. They are complete fanatics. Uh, and it's colourful and it's fun. You, you know, in, in the days of uh, of Obahiro um, and... Uh, and, and way up north, I remember, I remember regularly as, as we drove around the, uh, the rally route, seeing what I thought was a Fiat 500 with a giraffe sticking out of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. I think you put me right. It was actually an old Subaru, which looked an awful lot like a Fiat 500. It was that's an old right, Subaru. Yes, but, that's right. But, one, of, one of the early but, Subarus, that was. But, but this guy just, I don't, don't know if he went to any of the stages, but he just followed the rally route. In this Fiat 500 with, with the, the, the kind of rag top on it. Uh, and this giraffe, this toy giraffe, an enormous giraffe <laughs> sticking out the top of the car. It was quite some sight. Um, but coming down to these traffic lights off the motorway, loads of fans, loads of fans, all dressed up in fancy dress. And there was a bloke with a huge box next to him. And we, we noticed as we were there, you know, there was a car behind us, a rally car, and he's scrambling in this box. And he pulls out this sign from the box, and it was particular to that car. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Sebastian Loeb. And the sign was, was you know, written in French with French flag on it, and it said something in Japanese and French. And I thought, well, stop and watch this. And every car that came past, this bloke, this bloke had an individual sign for each driver. Each driver. He had the start list. He knew roughly who was coming next. And he had, he'd sat for however many days, and you know, we didn't have an enormous entry list, but there were probably 40 or 45 handwritten, handmade little banners for each driver. Uh, and that's the kind of level of, of devotion, this level of, of, of fans that you get in Japan. They're, they're very special. They absolutely are. And I mean, it's, it's such, a, such a lovely, um, a lovely um, respectful following that they, they, they offer as well. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing um, uh, what do you call it, light about it. It's very, it's very from the heart, you know, absolutely from the heart, isn't it? Well, you know what, and it's, you know, you're absolutely right, it is from the heart, and, and it's, they've had a degree of success, haven't they, over the years, you know, the Japanese manufacturers, and you know, it, is, it is interesting, because in, in, in a lot of countries, what you find is that fans follow manufacturers as opposed to drivers, you know, it's the same in Australia, for example, it's, it's Holden or Ford, uh, it really doesn't matter who's driving for Holden, or certainly in the olden days, Holden or Ford, you would, you would follow the manufacturer, and, and I guess it's maybe quite similar in Japan, 
um, you know, certainly in, in the glory yeah. days of Mitsubishi and Subaru. Yeah, and you do, uh, and you know, you do you, have you, would... you do have all the sub manufacturers. So, for instance, Toyota have about three or four at least different brands. So you'll see a you know a, a Toyota Corolla these days again, uh, yeah. branded and named as an entirely different car. Uh, and yeah, no, smart, nothing yeah. Toyota about it, and it and it's sitting there, and there, there'll be dealerships for these cars, uh, and, mm. and all sorts of things. But we should talk about the things that are particular in Japan. You know, when you arrive, what's what what it's like. Oh. It's very formal. Um, you know, Japan always uh, when you you came off the flight at either Narita in Tokyo or Haneda. More recently, you could fly direct into Haneda. When you flew into Narita, you used to always walk past a variety of temperature sensors, which sure yeah. sure you could see yourself on them as often as not, and it would it would sense if somebody was was running a temperature, and if someone was running a temperature, they get pulled aside, and I've seen people being pulled aside. Amazing, you know, away for away for this is pre this is considerably this is well, well, well this, yeah previously COVID, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, was, in Japan, you know, a lot of people wear masks, always have done, um, mm. always looks incredibly mm. uncomfortable. People do it for two reasons. Uh, one is the respectful aspect. If they've got a cold or they're not feeling well, they wear a mask to prevent infecting someone else. Uh, the other reason they wear them is that there's incredible amounts of you know ornamental gardens and cherry blossoms. And a phenomenal amount of my colleagues uh, really suffered when it came to the cherry blossom season. They, they, would, they would regard it with woe. Uh, they would love a rainy, wet day. Because it meant there was no there was no um, blossom pollen in the in the air, but they would wear the masks to to protect them for that. But mostly it's to prevent the, the spread of infection from themselves to others. Um, yeah. And and it's you know it's something it's something that have we adopted it? Yeah. Well, I mean I, I see people driving in cars on their own wearing a mask, and I realise that they're obviously just seriously hard of thought. Uh, but the <laughs> the the other thing you do see people in shops wearing masks, and you think well that's nice, you know. Uh, they, they must have something that they don't want to give me, and I'll steer clear of them. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I so, mean, it, again, it's just it's a throwback to that kind of respect. Yeah, so thing, there, there, there's that. Um, there's all that going on in Japan and the formality. I remember once uh, trying to catch a train, and I missed the train. I didn't get the train in time. I slept in, heading to the airport, and I missed my train. Um, and it wasn't. Was it? It was one of the medium fast sticks. It was the, the Narita Express out of Tokyo. It still takes about an hour to get out to Narita. It's a long way, and I missed my train. And I had a seat reserved, and it was always a busy train. Anyway, I, I got the next train, which was only fifteen minutes later, but I no longer had a seat, and my ticket wasn't valid. And I tried explaining to the guard, who who wouldn't have any of it. Anyway, in the end, he opened the gate to let someone through, and I just walked through. He didn't challenge me, and I got onto the train. And I had, I had no Japanese money left and I, I didn't have time to go away back and buy a ticket. And I got on the train, I thought, I'll sort out with the guard. The guard came along, looked at my ticket, shook his head. I, I just sat in a seat that was free. Nobody nobody challenged me at all. It was very nice. I, I mean, I was ready to pay. I, I, had, I, had, I had, you know, ways of paying them, I guess. But um, I think that was the occasion that my, I'd had credit card fraud. So I was in Japan and my credit card got cancelled. <laughs> it was the yeah, second. It was the se It wasn't. It, it hadn't. Ha it hadn't happened. It happened when I was in Japan, but not from Japan. It was from somewhere else, and uh, I, I managed to persuade the credit card company to let me pay a a, a ten day hotel bill up at um, up in um, 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 uh, up at STI headquarters. But uh, that was it, basically. I had I had about ten thousand yen, and that was enough to get me back down into the town, buy my buy my my lunch, get on a train, and go out to go go out the next day to the airport. Just had enough money to to do that. Um, wow! No, that's a, you don't want to be stuck without any money in Japan. But no. George, talking about the trains, it's it's you know the, it's a ritual when when you go and you watch, you, and it's worth if you ever go to Japan. It's genuinely worth at times just stopping, stopping and watching, watching the way that people behave as they're commuting mm. or uh, watching how the people behave who work on the trains because, you know, it's incredible. I mean, I remember watching the train drivers. If you see the drivers as they pull into the subway stations or into train stations and you watch them, the same with the guards, and they go through routines and rituals and you see them moving their hands and they are... You know, they're looking at their, at their instruments in their, their cabins and they're pointing at certain things. And I remember asking a Japanese friend, what, what are these guys doing? Why are they doing this? 
Uh, and I was told that, well, you know, everything is recorded and they, they have to be seen to be checking. They have to check the time. They have to check that they've applied the brakes. They have to check that they've opened the doors and they have to show that they've done all that. And it's like almost, it's almost like a little theatre, a little show when you watch them doing it. And then you watch the people waiting to get on. Now, anyone who has had to endure the absolute hell of London's underground during rush hour will know how just, it's a complete free-for-all, isn't it? There's very little discipline. You do the same in Japan and you watch. You watch how they, how they queue, how they, they wait, how they go on with your know, degree yeah. of respect for everyone around them. For me, it's, it's great. And, and you know what I found incredible? It, it's so easy to be overawed by the, the scale of the, the transport systems in, say, Tokyo, one of the biggest cities, if not the biggest city in the world. But actually, once you get into it and once you get onto the trains and once you, you get your mindset right, it's all very straightforward, isn't it? For, it, for somewhere that it, it, it seems so it daunting to well, start the, the first, with, it's actually really straightforward. Yeah, the first, first time I, I spent any significant amount of time in Tokyo was probably about 2002, 2001 maybe, 2001. And I, was, I, was, I arrived at Narita and I had instructions to get into Tokyo. So I had my suitcase and my briefcase and myself and of course when you arrived in Tokyo in 2001 or 2002 your phone didn't work because it was a different system so I was given these instructions of what train to get so I got I managed to get my bag and I got the right train and I got into I got into um, Shinjuku station it was and I then had to switch on to one of the local lines from the Narita Express so we'd arrived at platform 9b or something like that and I had to go to platform 27 F or something like that. It was it was ridiculous, and it was about three levels up and and, and about half a mile walk, and it was rush hour. I arrived early in the morning at Narita. By the time I was in Tokyo, it must have been about eight o'clock. So I've got a suitcase. I'm trailing a suitcase, Colin. Fortunately, I always get one with four wheels that you can wheel and push like a rather than having to lift it a little bit. Makes it a little bit easier. You can put your briefcase on top of it and just wheel it around. But there's lots of steps to do, so I had to, you know, walk up and down these steps. Not all, not all uh, ele- escalators or anything. It was you had to walk up and down steps, pain in the neck, um, to try and find these stations. And at that time, uh, all the writing was in kanji, so the the, the number yeah. the numbers were good, but there was no there was no uh, European alphabet in there. Um, it was pure. It was pure kanji on all the writing, so you had to be very precise. Anyway, I was told to get to this platform, and I was told to take the whatever it was, the eight forty three train from that station, and then get off. I was specifically told get off eight stations later, and the reason it was eight stations later because everything's in kanji, and you couldn't see. So, anyway, I I I, I got to the station, and, and as you say, the platform is absolutely mobbed. We're heading from. Uh, Shinjuku, which is a central business district area, to another central business business area, and it was it was for the SDI Motorsport presentation, um, for the year or the Subaru presentation for the year at that point, um, and uh, I, I I I stood in line. So the train came and went, and there was nobody there. So I stood on the little footprints. I was right at the front of the queue. The next train came in forty five seconds later. By which time there was a queue of twenty people behind me. The door opened, nobody got off, and uh, it was completely full. I'm thinking, well, nobody's getting on this. I've got a suitcase, you know. Uh, I didn't move. Everyone else on other other carriage doors were getting on and off, and you're thinking, how are they managing? Anyway, a few people went round me, and they just merged into this. They were absorbed by the people at the door. And I mean, it was absolutely full. You would not be getting on this. Anyway, I watched three trains come and go like this and I observed, as you say, how the people get on and off. Anyway, I think it was the third or fourth train. I finally stepped forward with my suitcase, pushed my way on and I was absorbed into the crowd. Now, I had a great big heavy flight case in one hand, my suitcase in another. My briefcase ended up with my arm out horizontally from my body. My suitcase was about, my briefcase was about four or five people away at shoulder height, just sitting there. I couldn't see it. I don't know whether anybody rifled through it. I think all my passport and everything was still there, obviously. And my suitcase was was likewise. It was it was it was away from me. And it wasn't until we did three stations that we we hit another main area and a whole load of people got off the train. At which point I retrieved my briefcase and I got into the corner. Uh, and and of course at this point I'm I'm 
moderately um, not traumatised, but so you know, thinking, am I going to get to the right place? Now, was it seven stations or eight? How many have I done so far? Yeah. How many have so, we done? Yeah, exactly. So I, I got <laughs> I got off on my seventh or eighth station, what exactly what I was meant to, and uh, and then found beat my way out to a particular entrance, and I was told when you come off the train, you've got to turn right. Don't take the first set of steps. Take the second set of steps, and it was a great big long. You know, the first set of steps was an escalator. The second set of steps was a stairway that was that was about five or six flights. I'm humping up there with my suitcase, come to the barrier, and of course, in all this, I've had to buy tickets as well. Do my little ticket. It's not right. It's not wanting to go out. So a guy lets me out. He looks at my ticket. Says, "Yeah, okay, go out through the side." He took pity on me, and then out to an entrance. And there, I found my STI contact waiting for me. Uh, and I thought, <laughs> that is never happening again. You're never doing that to me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it was quite, it's, it's, quite it's fascinating. Place, it? It's tr- tremendous food, Colin. We have to talk, tell people about how fabulous I, the food is. Food, the, the ex- experience. Yeah, the, the, the traveling is fun. The, the traveling is fun, but the food is just sensational. Yeah. It, it really is. Here's something that, that um, it's a fact that I read. I think it was the first time I went to Japan, and I've never forgotten it. Um, and it surprised me. It surprised me about Japan because I, I, I didn't know enough about Japan before I went first time. Um, and you know what? It, very stereotypical. It's like, oh, yeah, Japanese food. It's all sushi and sashimi, isn't it? And a, and a bit of noodles. Uh, how wrong could I have been? Um, so apparently Tokyo, way back, 2005, 2006, um, London, London, we'll start with London. London apparently had at the time, around about 20,000 licensed food outlets. So that's restaurants and takeaways and fast food chains and that sort of thing. Around about 20,000. Tokyo, a city of a similar size, 96,000. 96,000 licensed food outlets. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that the Japanese love their food. And it, it it's, again, George, it's, it's almost like, um, it, it, it's so part so much part of society eating out there that's it's everywhere you know tiny little you know front room restaurants front room little um yeah you know, almost like bistros yeah. to these incredible restaurants i mean it, it, you can get everything and, and you'll forget just seafood yeah. and noodles i mean it's just really literally anything you like but here's what i love george i remember going out with uh, someone who i knew from from tokyo and uh you know, it was one of the first times I'd been, and I really wanted to try good sushi. Really wanted to try it. Um, so it was like, yeah, no problems. I'll take you to a, to a, a really top-end sushi bar. And, and George, honestly, as a Scotsman, it nearly killed me. I mean, the food was just sensational. The, the theatre was sensational because this guy, this, this sushi chef, was one of the, 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 the best sushi chefs in Tokyo. And the, you, apparently, if, if, if you're in a sushi restaurant and you're at the, if you like, if you're at the, the bar, which is where the sushi chef works behind, um, and you're drinking, the tradition is that you have to buy the chef a drink. And th- this chef, by the end of the night, George, was, was, he was, how he was capable of standing, I've got no idea, because he was so drunk, it was ridiculous, but still churning out, you know, the most incredible sushi. So the bill comes, and it was, it was pretty close to £600 for this bill. For two people, for two people. <laughs> For two people, and yep. it, it, which, which, which actually, as it turns out, is not, not, not. You know, I heard of bigger bills that week for people who went to eat wagyu beef and all sorts. Yeah. Um, but you know, kind of, I met up with this friend again later on in the week, and uh, and it was, you know, okay, um, let's go for for some seafood again, but but let's not, let's not, if you don't mind, do a six hundred pound restaurant. No problems. Let's go down to the the fish market, and we'll go to the little community of restaurants around the fish market again. Utterly sensational meal for two people, 20 quid. Yeah. And for me, that's the absolute diversity of, of Japanese food. You can get anything you like from any price, you know, mm. really great value, up to yeah. astronomically stupid sort of money. And, 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 it's, and it's, 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 it's just it's sensational. And as you said, Colin, so, so many little micro restaurants, little pop-up restaurants, yeah. street food, absolutely amazing. Let's go through the names. Yakiniku also known as Korean barbecue, but the Japanese version, well, yeah, Yakiniku, yeah. amazing. You introduced that to I me. did. So you that's that, that, is, that is a little barbecue in the middle of a table. It's all vented away, and they bring you lots of meat, lovely thin strips of gorgeous meats, any variety at all, with lovely <laughs> sauces, and you just cook it yourself for 30 seconds aside, and you eat it, and you just gorge yourself. And you can get deals as much as you can eat in two hours and as much as yes. you can drink. And that might cost you a couple yes. of thousand yen, like 20 quid or something like that. 20 quid, uh, and yeah. Maybe 30 yeah. quid if you want two and a half hours. 
uh, and and they just keep bringing the food until you until you're uh, until you're done. Usually Do you, you get no. beaten. Sashimi. That's thin raw right. fish, sukiyaki, fried pan at the table, shabu shabu, that's thin boiled beef and, and vegetables at the table, lovely, um, um, all, all sorts of all sorts of really delicious things. Uh, teppanyaki, that's where they have the big the big uh, sort of grill at the table where, where the chef cooks it all for you at the table. That's a recent, that's an Americanized type of ja- Japanese, not not traditional. Um, uh, but it's actually really stunning, and that's where I've had wagyu beef uh, at, at Teppanyaki. That I, I never, I heard what the bill was for five of us. I heard it was over three thousand uh, pounds. I yeah. wasn't paying. Yeah, 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 Lovely. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, sushi. <laughs> you've got the bento boxes, yakitori, tempura, gyozo dumplings. Oh, it just goes on and on. Oh. The list goes on it's and just... on and on. <laughs> Stunning. It's, it's, you know what you're talking about? You're properly vented for your, your, your Korean barbecues. Um, if you have a look on some of the Toyota social medias this week, uh, I think the first night that Toyota arrived in, it looked to me like they were, what's that big junction called in the centre of Tokyo? Because I saw a few pictures. Uh, of massive, oh, massive. I, I, um, I can't remember the... Is it not the Shibuya area where, where that, that's where? Yeah. I've got lots of photographs massive, of themselves. Yeah. They, they, they were eating in a restaurant there and... Um, and the venting in this this little grill wasn't as it should have been, George. I'll tell you, there was smoke everywhere, well, but it looked like fun. Some of them, it some, some like of them, of some of them have them. Some of them don't. Traditionally, they you know they, they don't. They're just smoke filled. I've, I've seen that. I've gone into the little yeah. micro restaurants that are doing Korean barbecue, and you are you come out smelling of barbecue. It's fabulous. <laughs> you know, you, you're using you're using the hotel laundry at that point, which is not the cheapest. No, it's not the cheapest. You're quite right. Uh, Dan Barrett, the lovely Dan Barrett, the, the wonderful co-driver. Uh, I remember, <laughs> now, this may have been, may have been when we were based in Sapporo. I can't, can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but he was with Toshi Arai. No, was he with Toshi Arai? Again, you know, I'm, 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 it's, it's all a little vague as you get older. He'd had a big crash anyway. I'm pretty sure it was Toshi Arai. He'd had a big crash. He was out the rally. So he wanted to come out with me for the day to, to go around the stages and all the rest. Um, so we stopped. They have these wonderful convenience stores all over Japan, don't they? Um, they're like little 7-Elevens. In fact, I think some of them are called 7-Elevens. Um, it's an institution so, uh, called, they, they yes. have, It is an institution, but the food there can be really interesting. Really interesting. If you want a snack, you can normally get one. Japanese dumplings. Not the dumplings. What are the little fluffy ones called, George? They're not dumplings, are they? What are they called? Um, uh, and, you know, and, the I, know that, I, I forget the name of them, Colin, but yeah, they're... they're they're not. They're not dumplings, though, are they? They're, uh, yeah. they're buns. They're like they're little like, buns. They are. Yeah. So they're little fluffy white buns. So we go into the shop. My dad's from up north, and he's from up north where 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 they kind of eat traditional food, like you know, meat and two veg every night. And he's he's maybe not the most adventurous when it comes to food. Quite early in the morning, I said, Dan, have you had your breakfast? No, no, lad. I'm not 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 had any this morning, like. It's like okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan. These are great. These little buns. They're 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 sweet. And they're fluffy and they're delicious. They're great. He's going, oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. He said, oh, you've got to try one, Dan. You've got to try one. So, so I buy three or four of them. And we go to the car. And I'm in the car. And, and you know, as always, I'm, I'm driving and eating. And I'm going, just, just try one, Dan. Look, and, I, and I've got one. And I've bitten into mine. And it's full of this beautiful, sweet jam. And, oh, my God, it was absolutely delicious. And I'm, I'm salivating as I'm eating it. And Dan's thinking, all right, maybe they're not quite so bad. <laughs> Did you did you get an assortment, Colin? Takes, you got an assortment he, he here. This takes, is a bad he story. A he takes he takes bite out of one of these fluffy white buns, and honestly, honestly, George, it was it, he was screaming, stop, stop, stop! <laughs> so I jump on the brakes. He's gone green. The door opens, and he's throwing up out the door. I'm going, Dan, Dan, what's up? We're not feeling well. He's going, what have you given me? What have you given me? <laughs> Are you trying to poison me? And yeah, you're right. I'd got a selection of these buns and he'd got the fermented meat one. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, my goodness me. I, you know, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It was vile. And poor, poor Dan Barrett, he didn't get over it all week. He he, every time I saw him, he's going... Yeah. Colin, I can still taste that in my mouth, that muck in my mouth. I can still taste it. Yeah. Um, so, so, but you have to be adventurous, don't you, you when do. it comes to food you in do. Japan, George? Yeah. And, and there's usually, you know, P- Japanese people are very, very friendly. And and you know, if you're if you're having any difficulty anywhere, you stop and ask. People will help, and in, including food. You say, look, I'm looking for this. Is uh, they say, oh, maybe maybe too hot for you, you know? And you realise you'd be taking a mouthful of uh, of wasabi mustard uh, by mistake. 
yeah, even yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but, but people are good. And George, it's going to be an amazing event. They are good. It's going to be an amazing event. But they are good, but George... The formalities I, I of the country... I have to tell one more story. One more story, because we do it. We should wind up, because we get accused of being too long. We do, you're quite right. But I have to tell a story, because it involved your 50th birthday. Um, and there was... There was <laughs> so that's, that's how long ago it was. Um, so there was myself, I think there was Andrew Short, Shorty was with us, and there was one other person. Um, that's right, it I was. I not remember who that would have been. Uh, it may have been, may have been... Was well, no, was it, 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 no was, it not, was it not Mike Mike Corner? Ah, yeah, might M have been Mike. Mike Corner. So, so yeah. we're, 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 we're strolling around the streets of support, in fact, charging around, George leading the way, it's his 50th birthday, we're looking for a decent restaurant to go to to celebrate George's 50th birthday. Uh, and again, you know, these, these kind of eat-all-you-can places. You know, in Japan, restaurants aren't street-side. They tend to be, you know, down in cellars or up two or three or four storeys up into a, a, a oh, multi-story building. God, I remember building. that night, so, yeah. So, so what happens is people, people stand on the street selling their wares. You know, so they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, two hours for 2,000 yen. So this guy's on the corner and, he's, and he, he, he sees us and he knows we're looking. So, George, you're doing the deal. So it's 2,000 yen, yeah, for two hours, yeah, okay. And you get free beer, yeah, no problems. So we go down and we go down into this, down the steps into this restaurant. And as you go in on the left, you take your shoes off, you put them in the little boxes. They took us to the table. And, you know, we were the only Western people in there. So you, not that we caused a stir, but people stopped and looked and nodded very respectfully at us. We sat down. Um, <laughs> it just comes along. I remember exactly what happened. She brings these menus, and you went, no, 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 no need for the menus. We want the 2,000 yen, eat all you can for two hours. And she goes, oh, no, 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 we, we, we don't do that. And before she could explain, you said, right, that's it, we're all off. <laughs> you, you jumped up from the table. You jumped up. If you don't do the 2,000 yen, we're just, come on, come on, everyone. And we're looking going, this is embarrassing as hell. Um, <laughs> was you that charged off. And I think, I think you may have charged past your shoes because you had to come back to get your shoes. I don't shoes. recall that. You were in such a rush. And it was off we went, charging up the stairs, charging past this poor bloke outside who's looking at us as if it's to say, you know, what is going on here? And off we went, and it was very, very entertaining. We did actually eventually end up on the top story, about 15 stories up, and a beautiful shabu shabu. It was stunning, for yeah. Your 50th it was, it was, it was worth the race. As, as I recall, we were in about two or three restaurants. One of, one of them we went into, and it was the, the sitting in the little pit with your legs crossed, yes. which I can't, yes. I can't do that. Yes. I, I don't like to cross my legs for any length yeah. of time like that. Yeah. I can't sit for a couple of hours. Yeah. So, uh, so we, we were in one of them and we came out. I think we were in two of them and we came out. There was the one that tried to pull the wool over our eyes and charge us ten, ten grand instead of two. <laughs> and and then, uh, as I think I was paying, I think the deal was I would pay that night. It was my birthday, so I was paying. Oh, is you? Yeah, I'm pretty right. sure. I'm right. pretty sure that, I that's paid. That's not right, really, is it? Yeah, but we had we had we had an amazing shabu shabu that we, that we just ate and ate and ate. I do recall it oh. quite well. It was a lovely evening. It was a beautiful evening, mm. George. Uh, well, listen, folks, ho hopefully we've given you a little flavour of what Japan's about. It really does bring something very different and very, very special to the World Rally Championship. And those of us who are fortunate to be going out there to cover the event will enjoy every single moment of it. Um, George, you'll be following, I'm sure, uh, on dirtfish.com. Um, what in particular are you looking forward to seeing out here in Japan? Anything well, well, anything that you're really looking forward to? Most most interesting is, as, uh, you know, on the WRC coverage, it will be it will be the look of the stages. So we're, we're asphalt roads. Um, if it's on the flat land, it, it, it'll be very Ypres-like minus. But if, if it goes up into the hills, which I'm sure it does, I've not looked at the route yet, very slack. Uh, the, 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 in my experience, all those roads have crash barriers around them. So there'll be there'll be very little cutting, uh, from from the roads I've seen um, up in uh, where was it we went was it Ham Hamamatsu was the ski resort that we went to I think I can't remember I think it was Ham no no that's not right that's a different place entirely that's that's where Suzuki have their base um, down on the coast so no it, it, there was a ski resort that that uh, Karizawa 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 I think it was. Uh, and uh, I, I did uh, I did um, gravel weather car for for Yoshio on one of the legs there. It was it was wet and difficult. And the stages you couldn't go off the road literally. You could hit the rock face or you'd hit the crash barrier. And the crash barriers were serious. You know they were like three high, painted red and white. So it was very restrictive. So it it could be you know a bit like a, 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 a slot racing tra track except with incredible cambers and unbelievably twisty. It was gorgeous to drive. Um, Highly, highly uh, 
entertaining. So I, I'm hoping that we're in for some great entertaining driving, edgy stuff. Um, to my mind, uh, on on the roads I've seen, but I've not seen these roads on the roads I've seen. The asphalt rally, that the only asphalt rally I've done in Japan was up at up at Karizawa, and that was um, Colin Jeopardy. 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 Massive, Jeopardy. massive cuts, massive oh. cuts, but through concrete culverts that were sculpted oh. out to, to match the, the curve of the road, almost oyster-like in their in their sculpting, oh. where you would you could slingshot off it. But but th- these were roads that you know you, you were doing you know to go around these corners. You, you're you're talking half or even three quarters of a turn of the steering wheel. Quite a tight corner, you know. Um, oh. uh, so quite quite challenging, I think. Uh, quite different. Uh, I'm, I dare say that the people have had, had, had videos. The engineers will already have seen the road, so they'll know what they're coming to. So it's just a question of uh, can Hyundai give give uh, Thierry the car he needs? Possibly. Anyway, we should be talking about that. We should be talking about Japan. If yeah. you're if you're lucky enough Japan. if you're lucky enough to be going, Colin, remember when someone offers your business card, stop, face them, eye contact, take yes. the card with two hands. And then put it carefully, awesome. put it carefully into your yes, wallet. George. All the things that that's reminding me. I must find. I have some business cards to take with me somewhere. Yeah. Well, I'll tell and you again, what I'm when, looking for. When you offer them, anything. Colin, offer them also yeah. with two hands. Two hands. Yes. Two hands. Always with two and, hands. And, yes, and don't you. just that's don't right. just tuck it away into a pocket. You must put it neatly into. It's all respectful. Just just as a very small aside, and I know as you say we're running out of time. That's something that ProDrive used to do with with all employees, didn't they? Who had any any. Uh, interface at all with their Japanese colleagues. They used to put them through a, I think it was a mornings um, I, I familiarisation course. I never in, experienced in, in, that and I was never aware of it, Colin. I think it's, I think it's, folk, no, no. it's folklore. No, no, no. I was told about it by yeah. by someone oh, okay. who should have known these things. But, okay. but yeah, yeah. That's what he said. He might, he might yeah. have been telling me porkies. Yeah. Um, he was another Scotsman, another Colin Clark. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. George, um, uh, I'm looking forward very much, very much to uh, meeting some of those wonderful Japanese fans. For me, that's what really brings the colour to Rally Japan. And I might, I might be looking forward to a little bit of Japanese food as well. So, folks, listen from from George Donaldson and from myself. It is a very big. Uh, arigato gozaimasu. We are going to enjoy Rally Japan. Uh, YourDirtfish.com, it is the place for all the news. There's a lot of news, I'm sure, coming your way this week. So uh, stay tuned, folks, to Dirtfish.com. From myself, Colin Clark, thank you very much for joining and us. And thank you. Just a little bit of a cultural tour of Japan. And from you, George? Thank you very much. From me, I hope uh, hope we shared enough little stories. I, I, th- I think we've barely scratched the surface, Colin. I mean, basically, for all our listeners, this is just Colin and me effectively sitting in the pub by the fireside a couple of nice drinks and we're just chewing the fat and reminiscing uh, and and hopefully it's enjoyable from that point of view i really do hope it is if it's not well i guess you can turn off can't you? <laughs> not too soon though folks